I'm curious about gig worker. <laughs> Sorry, I need water one second. Also, now every time someone coughs, people give the side eye. So oh, I know <laughs> everybody gets freaked out. Yes, totally. When it comes to coronavirus in many parts of the world, it's still hard to know when to laugh and when to panic. On the one hand, you see videos like this one. Buongiorno, cari amici. A man reading the obituary's page of a newspaper in Bergamo, in Italy. He's saying there was a little more than a page of obits in February. Una pagina. E un By March, you can hear him counting. Sei, sette, seven, eight, otto, nine, ten pages of obituaries. Nove, Each page is completely full. E dieci. Una semplice influenza. Grazie. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., where the government didn't declare a national emergency until March 13th, it almost seemed like the most active response at first was from the companies that sell us stuff. I now know just how many places I've given my email address to and their plan for this pandemic, whether I care or not. A local scooter app wanted me to know it's implementing an enhanced disinfection process. And delivery services will leave meals on my doorstep. So I don't have to have any human interaction while I'm working from home. This new reality and those emails from brands got us thinking about the people behind the ride chairs or the meal deliveries. A lot of them don't even work by the hour, let alone full time. They're gig workers in that nebulous part of the economy ruled by apps, services, even Craigslist. And we wanted to know how the coronavirus was affecting them. But doing that made us realize it's hard to even define what the gig economy is. And it just shows how many cracks there are for workers to fall through. So I talked to two people covering it to find out. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm talking to Kaylin Ford a freelance writer for Al Jazeera based in New York City. I want to start by talking about what exactly a gig worker is. It's a really broad term. And even here in the U.S., where people are more familiar with that term, it can mean a few different things. When I opened this sort of Pandora's box of what is the gig economy, I was so floored to see how many people really work in it. They can be Uber drivers. The people who deliver our Amazon packages, our food. They can be our babysitters or the people who take care of our elderly parents. They can be our yoga teacher, fitness professionals, beauty salon employees. So they're really often on the front lines of the service industry. And they're really often doing the complicated and sometimes difficult job of making our lives easier. And sometimes people are actually doing multiple gig jobs in order to make ends meet. Um, a 2018 Gallup poll found that 36% of Americans participate in the gig economy in some way. And that comes out to about 75 million gig workers. 
I think that gig workers have a certain invisibility in the labor market. And so that fundamental question is actually at the heart of a lot of the issues that we see around labor practices and labor protections for gig workers, because the gig economy is actually very, very vast. And therefore, they do not have some of the same benefits or protections um, that other workers who work, for example, full time for one company might have. And it's a pretty fragile place to be. So entangled in this is a few things. We've got the lack of paid sick leave, since the U.S. doesn't guarantee that nationally. Then we've got the lack of employer health insurance, since that's how many Americans get their health insurance through their jobs. And then finally, we've got the fact that because these are gigs, people won't get paid if they don't work. Can you talk to me about some of the people you met who are facing some of these issues? One of the people I met was Michelle. She's a yoga teacher, a birth doula, and someone who anchors new mom support groups in the New York City area. Michelle's dynamic. She's energetic. This is the work that she's decided to really devote her life to. She told me that she quit a job in corporate America to become a prenatal yoga teacher, which was a bold move for her um, as the mother of two children. But she has done this work for 15 years. She's fabulous at it, but it's also just her, her business is her. She's paid by the attendance at the classes that she teaches, which is pretty standard for yoga studios and fitness professionals across this part of the U.S. So if people don't show up, her pay plummets. And that's what she's seeing right now because the population she works with, pregnant people and new mothers, are really worried about getting sick, maybe even more worried and more concerned than the general population. So she's seen a lot of her students not come to class because of coronavirus. So when you're talking amongst friends or even in reporting this story, were you thinking of yourself? Do you consider yourself a gig worker? It's very funny that you ask that because I had never considered myself a gig worker before reporting on this story. I've always identified myself as a freelancer or an independent journalist, but really those are the same thing, right? I don't receive health insurance benefits through any one job. You know, I also don't have guaranteed paid time off because of the state where I live. So it was interesting to write this piece speaking to gig workers in all these different industries and kind of collecting their experiences while also um, being part of that industry myself. Even as I asked it, I thought, oh, I've, I've been one before. And it's scary. I, I, was, I served as an independent contractor for a big journalism company for about three and a half, four years. And it seems great because you can kind of set things as you see them, set your hours, figure out those kinds of things for yourself, but also you don't have that social safety net if anything goes wrong. So it it can be scary. That's absolutely true. And I think you could be one illness or um, need for, you know, paid leave away from, you know, being in a tough place financially. And I think a lot of people don't realize quite how close to the edge this profession and this kind of career path can be until they maybe find themselves in a crisis. We reached out online to hear from listeners about just that. We wanted to know how the coronavirus was affecting their work in the gig economy. My name is Vestia Sylvester, and I am an author, poet, writer, mom, and basically mother of dragons. I have not been able to have none of the venues that I was supposed to be reciting my poetry at not cancel on me. So them canceling has caused me to pretty much lose my means of making money 
for book sales. So basically, right now I'm in this lovely state of limbo. So that's how this lovely coronavirus has been affecting me. So let's say one of these gig workers suspects that they have contracted the coronavirus. How can they get tested and what kind of health care can they expect to have access to? I think that really varies um, state by state and and gig worker by gig worker. And this epidemic is happening on the backdrop of a healthcare system where many people worry about affording the cost of treatment and of sort of surprise costs that might be associated with their treatment. The U.S. Congress has a bill in the works for emergency coronavirus relief to address some of those concerns. We did what we said we were going to do. Put families first with paid sick leave, paid sick days, family and medical leave, unemployment insurance. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says that free testing will be a key part of the package. Testing, testing and testing. This is so important. This bill also aims to do things like increasing unemployment benefits, although those benefits don't apply to gig workers. What they're more likely to benefit from is the money proposed to cover testing and services for Americans without health insurance. That's 27.5 million people. But Kaylin says the fear of health care costs is a hard barrier to overcome. A lot of Americans have the experience of getting an enormous bill after seeing a doctor or being hospitalized that includes charges they didn't expect to see there. So people are also mistrustful of, you know, being told, oh, well, the treatment will be paid for. And I think that that's a huge piece of it. People are worried that out-of-pocket costs could bankrupt them. The average three-day stay at a hospital in the United States costs about $30,000, according to healthcare.gov. So we're talking about enormous enormous costs that people are worried about paying. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And a recent study by the Federal Reserve found that nearly 40 percent of U.S. households would struggle to pay for an unexpected $400 expense. And when we're talking about the average stay in a hospital costing maybe $10,000 per day, $400 seems like a drop in the pan. And then, of course, it's the, you know, the the uncertainty, people whose jobs and whose gigs depend on people traveling or socializing or getting together in groups are really wondering how long they're going to have business be very slow and what kind of cushion or safety net they have for themselves to be able to continue to afford their own lifestyle. So I'm curious about gig workers who work for apps, because there's been some controversy about whether they can be classified as employees. So even though people may work for these apps all day long, they're not entitled to certain benefits because they aren't considered employees. Uber and food delivery service Postmates have filed a lawsuit in California looking to block a state labor law that would require them to treat many of their independent contractors, otherwise known as gig workers, as employees. Uber, Postmates, and other app-based companies said the legislation compromises the flexibility valued by their workforce. They said fewer workers would be hired if considered employees versus contract workers. So. Why is that? You know, I can't definitely speak for any one company or their position on this issue, but I think that a lot of these companies see this as an opportunity for both the company and the worker to have a flexible working arrangement. 
and that this is something that is just part of the gig, right? But gigs evolve. And so that's what a lot of workers are saying, that even if this started out as something that was meant for people to do as a side hustle or part-time or for extra cash, people are now relying on this work by and large to support their families. And so the laws and the policies need to change with that changing reality. That changing reality got pushed to the fore by this outbreak. And that development has already had an impact on this debate. Some of these app-based gig jobs, such as Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, and Postmates, those are all rideshare or food delivery companies, have said they will offer support to their workers to varying extents. So things like covering lost wages, paying for doctor's visits and treatment, and even paid sick leave in some cases. But it's not clear who those benefits extend to. In some cases, it's only people who've been diagnosed with the virus amid a notoriously low testing rate in the U.S. And those people might be afraid of medical expenses, as we mentioned. We wanted to know what the workers themselves thought of all this. So we talked to someone who knows them well. My name is Harry Campbell, and I'm the founder of The Rideshare Guy, a blog, podcast, and YouTube channel for Uber and Lyft drivers and other gig workers uh, around the country. I started driving for Uber and Lyft all the way back in 2014 when the companies were first getting started. At the time, I was working full-time as an aerospace engineer for Boeing. And at the time, Uber and Lyft were paying a lot more money, and they were new and kind of sexy. I think because of my engineering background, I was doing it in a very mathematical and kind of strategic way. So I was trying to only drive the busy times and the busy places. So that's really how a lot of the content that I was creating started, you know, what my whole site is about. You must be hearing from people in this time right now where we're all talking about the coronavirus. How many drivers do you hear from on a regular basis? We have about a million drivers that we reach every single month. And then I'm constantly talking to drivers on social media, over email, in person. A lot of drivers have my phone number, so they love to text me, keeping up to date with everything that's going on there. Can you read out what some of those texts have been? What are people texting you about? <laughs> yeah, let me try and pull up a couple real quick. Cool. I'm trying to find one that I got, and he was telling me all the things he was doing in his car. He says, I've got little bottles of Purell. I'm wiping down the car in between rides before and after my shift. And I also put a sign up in my car that says, if you're going to cough, please cough into your elbow. That is <laughs> such great advice, <laughs> whether you're in an Uber yeah. or not. I love that. Can I, can I have another one? Yeah, let's see. So I have a text right here from a driver. He just sent me a story about uh, rideshare drivers are suing Uber and Lyft to classify them as employees citing coronavirus. So I think that one thing we've heard from drivers is that they're now starting to think, hey, if we were actually employees, wouldn't we be getting sick pay right now? So this driver specifically said, why aren't you covering this? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. What have you been hearing in terms of the company response when it comes to support that they're going to offer drivers? 
you know, Uber and Lyft have started sending out more communications to drivers, but at the start, a lot of them just kind of felt like they were on their own. So I think the companies are, you know, like a lot of other businesses right now, struggling to how they're going to deal with the response. So Uber was the first of the gig companies to announce that they were trying to set up a fund for any drivers that become diagnosed with coronavirus. But, you know, I think for a lot of drivers, it still begs the question, what about paid sick time for, you know, if you're just feeling symptoms or before you're diagnosed with coronavirus or if you have the flu. I think what's especially tough for the companies is that they almost have two class of workers. Uber recently announced that their corporate employees could work from home. And so you have a slew of employees actually working from home and not going into the office, but drivers don't really have that choice. And, you know, even uh, recently, Uber sent out an email to all of their drivers that they were actually closing down all of their in-person support centers. These support centers are where drivers can go in person to deal with problems that can't be fixed over the phone. Harry says he always recommends drivers go there when they have complex issues. For example, if there's some kind of problem that leads to their account getting temporarily deactivated. You know, it is critical for drivers to have access to services and good help so that they can get resolved. I mean, drivers, for example, if they're temporarily deactivated while driving and they can no longer go into a support center and they have to deal with it over the phone, that could be the difference between them making enough money to put food on the table or not. And I think it sort of speaks to sometimes even the inequality that a lot of drivers complain about. It's a point echoed by Cecily a blogger and contributor to Harry's Rideshare Guy YouTube page. If they're offering sick leave, doesn't that imply that we're employees now? But I'm thinking that the coronavirus is finally forcing gig economy to reform. So many people that are concerned about contracting the virus from picking up passengers and the what ifs, if they were to get the virus and what will happen to their lives. Uber sent us a statement that read, based on the advice of public health authorities, our goal is to help flatten the curve on community spread in the cities we serve. Uber also says it wants to protect both drivers and customer support experts by closing their in-person support centers. And they're working on expanding their online and phone support options. They've also suspended the carpooling service, Uber Pool, for the same reason. That double bind that gig workers find themselves in also got me thinking about the double bind that we're in as consumers who rely on these gigs. And I asked Kaylin about that. This morning, I took a lift to get to work. The other day, I ordered from DoorDash to get some dinner. I use Amazon Prime all the time. There is a reason that people say, There's an app for that because there is an app for that. Do you think people are starting to realize now, under the threat of the coronavirus, that it's not just an app? There's also a person on the other end of that who is delivering that service. I think what this outbreak is showing us is that, yes, there's an app for that, but also there's a human behind that app who um, has needs like health insurance, paying their bills, taking time off when they're sick, taking time off to care for their families. That person has maybe largely been invisible to us before, right? We hop in the back of an Uber and we don't really think about who the driver is or how they feed their family. We press order on a great sushi takeout and we don't really think about the delivery driver. 
I think what I'm always struck by when I speak with, and I've covered, you know, workers' rights and in the issues of domestic workers, is the selflessness of a lot of these workers. People who don't have a lot of protections, perhaps are paid an hourly rate that's not very high, who show up day after day after day, even when it's perhaps makes them more vulnerable. All of a sudden, we realize the reality, which we really should have known all along, which is that we're only as safe and as healthy as the least safe and least healthy person among us. And so I hope that this lets people think a little bit more about the choices that they make and the rights that we should all have to be safe and healthy. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Amy Walters, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to everyone who's been tweeting us with their gig economy stories at AJ The Take and to Bestia Sylvester. You can read Kaylin's article on gigs in the time of coronavirus on aljazeera.com. There's a link to it on our website at aljazeera.com slash the take. And if you want to hear more from Harry, check out therideshareguy.com.